Whoa! <laughs> wow! Hey, guess what, everyone? It's Jacob's birthday! <laughs> All right, Jacob, another day, another bout of flailing against the users. Oh, man, it's just a day in the life here. You know, you go out on the street, you know, like push them out of the way, just get to your car. Welcome, everyone, to New Polity's least famous podcast, Good Money, where... Yeah, it's probably more famous. It's all not very famous. (laughs) The point is here at Good Money, we like to talk about virtue as the way of saving this horrible economy uh, and the horrible people in it, Yeah, namely ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Joining us. This is a personal therapy session, how to uh, not be an evil person and... How to not speculate unless you're speculating on the mysteries of Jesus. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah, like you always got to turn it on them, you know? Like Jesus is always saying, like, don't amass, don't amass, don't be worried, except for your salvation. Except for in heaven. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, don't speculate, don't speculate, unless you're speculating on when Jesus is going to come again. That's okay. He told us that's no. okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're not really supposed to do that either. But today we are talking about usury. That's the one truth in all of those lies. We're excited. We have yeah. talked about it before, but yeah. it seems to me, at least in, in hanging out with you and conversations um, and in just looking at the world a little more closely, I feel a little bit smarter on it. Not much smarter. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of a dunce about it. Yeah. But I think I understand it a little better. And so it's worth giving another shot because I, I said this last bow, time. Bow. One of the One of the painful parts about the church's teaching on usury is actually that everyone thinks that it's changed. So it's often yeah. used as this example of like a historical anachronism. Oh, mm-hmm. they used to think usury is bad, but now the world's changed, the church has changed. And this is actually used, it's very common, it's used with wishy-washy people who want to then justify some other thing that they don't want to do or they do want to do that totally. the church prohibits. And they say, well, if the church changed its mind on usury, surely it could change its mind on... Insert. Contraception. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. John Newton. It's almost Noonan. always contraception. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, John Noonan, he's a really smart Jesuit who tried to, uh, you know, say that the tradition has, has changed. It seems kind of be a habit, you know. And, oh, the Jesuits? Yeah, for the Jesuits. Saying it's changed, yeah. yeah. But it's okay. There's some, I think the movie The Mission has always redeemed the Jesuit order for me. Oh, you know? come on, man. We got the Pope. We've got the um, uh, 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 Von Balthazar. Yeah, but he kind of left. You know, he like started his own order. Um, but it did form him. You're right. Delubach. Oh my gosh, he was a sige. He's a what now? <laughs> he was a sige. A sige. That's how you. They always put the oh S- an SJ right. right. SJ at the end. So we've got good Jesuits. You got great Jesuits. But Noonan yeah. was saying that, that. But the mission. That's the thing that always oh. <laughs> in my mind. You know, it's just like you can't go too hard on the sige. You know, because I've had too much fun with this great. movie to walk it back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you're saying that that Noonan is a Jesuit who has said that the tradition has in fact changed on on usury, usury. and therefore it can in in his argument, should also change on contraception oh, as right. well. I, I mean, he was some yeah. decades ago now, sure. but, um, sure. uh, but anyways, we, we just don't see that his arguments are very convincing. We don't think that the people who say this stuff is, you know, they're convincing either, or even that they're really convinced themselves, I think sometimes, yeah, yeah. but, um, we just want to read a number of these documents. If we, you're watching on YouTube, them. look at our desk. Yeah. It's full of documents. <laughs> Jacob is surrounded by a veritable wall of, in, of the intellectual tradition. <laughs> but maybe we should start pretty simply, right? Yeah. Usury, what is it? Yeah. Ch- charging, right. I was going to say it, oh. charging interest on a loan. There you go. That's you can't true. do it. You just can't do it. <laughs> Stop it. And it makes sense to me, right? Because if 
you, dear listener, come to me and are like, hey, man, I really need 20 bucks. Can I borrow it? And I give it to you and I say, listen, bud, every week you're going to owe me another dollar. You might think that this is okay to do. You might think it's normal to do. But the idea that you would think it's Christian to do is unlikely. Just be honest. Yeah, now, true. the debate, of course, there's a debate. What constitutes interest? How much is, is really, is it a problem of quantity as opposed to quality, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And we'll discuss it. Look at all these papers. They're right here. We're going to do it. <laughs> but fundamentally speaking, from the biblical injunctions onward, a just man does not charge interest on a loan. And neither should you. Nope. It's simple as that. Uh, you know, and it's just, it is kind of outstanding when you just read through all the, all the Bibles on this. I mean, it's, it's just one thing after another. I mean, the Psalms saying, you know, that the just man doesn't charge money for a loan. Ezekiel says it. Leviticus says it. Deuteronomy trying to make some changes um, that are permissible for a people tries to lighten the load of Leviticus slightly. You know, Moses says, all right, you can get a divorce, you know, something that Jesus winds back. He also says, you can also charge interest, but not to your brothers. That's not appropriate, you know, but you can to the alien. Um, You know, that's really the only exception that you find throughout the entire scriptures. Um, People are wondering about the parable of the Minas. I think we, I think that's what we talked about in the last podcast and usury. Yeah. But at least there's an article up on newpolity.com that you can go and find. Well, I think you already said one of the things that, that just emotively Mm -hmm. seals the deal for me, Mm -hmm. which is that idea of in the Old Testament when there was a license given in some ways to um, the Jewish people, there was still the sense of, not a sense of, there's still a prohibition on charging interest to your family, to the Jewish, among the Jewish people. And, And to me, that is such a fundamental insight that, that, you would not want to charge interest to your family members. Mm-hmm. I think it would take an unnatural training for you to look at someone that you loved, a brother or sister, and I'm talking about in your actual you know, blood family, mm-hmm. and see their need as an occasion for further profit, to say, okay, I'm going to give you some money, but I'm also going to use this as an opportunity to make money. This loan itself will become fruitful for me. I'm going to profit from that loan you would immediately feel at least a kind of twinge of conscience that you would have to kind of push over in some way by justifying it, not as a desire for personal gain, but somehow maybe it's, it helps your brother to pay it back faster. Some, you'd have to have some kind of thing going on. But the point that I want to make is this. that If it's the case that we can still imagine a natural, natural reticence to charging interest on loads within families, so like you don't do it to your wife, you wouldn't do it to your brother, <laughs> Like, okay, maybe it happens in the economy at large, but if you're a father and you want to lend your son some money, it, it's just normal to say no interest. Or not even to say it, because it just, it, you know, it wouldn't come up. Okay, if that's still imaginable, and I know I'm being very, you have this look on your face, like you're being well, I very... Because kn- I know families that do that, <laughs> okay, but, you know? But I think you're right. Let me live fight. in my, yeah, my yeah. little little. Don't pop my bubble, little. Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if we can imagine this as a normal reticence, then let's look at what the church is. Mm-hmm. Because as I understand the church, what gets me really inspired and what, and what these days is really making me want to evangelize, so I want to tell people to become Catholic, is the Catholic church can be understood as the only institution in this universe dedicated, as it were, to taking that love 
that is within the family, which is experienced in the family, and breaking it open and spreading it out over the entire cosmos until the normal relations that the entire that constitute the entire social order mm-hmm. are the relations of brothers and sisters, of fathers to children. Yeah, uh, and I think this just makes so much sense. I mean, you look at the family and you're doing all these things that Christ. Uh, forget the whole obvious fact that we literally within Christianity become brothers and sisters in Christ, that we become children, uh, common adopted children, sons of the Father, that sort of thing. That so you share the same blood flowing through your veins even in the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. The, the familial metaphor is is not just a nice metaphor, it's, it's sort of descriptive of the transformation in Christ, that mm-hmm. it means belonging to the family of God now. Okay, all that being said, one of the things you can see is in our families now, we just practice these Christian things. We share goods in common. We love each other unconditionally. So parents don't say, I'll love you if you do X, Y, and Z. In a natural sort of way, they behave like God to their children and say, I'll love you no matter what. And this Mm -hmm. just springs from our lips. Or, you know, authority is practiced within families. Like basically families are a place where all those things that we kind of stress about whether we should be doing them in society at large. Should we have goods in common? Isn't that communism? Shouldn't, should we have authority to correct the wicked? Isn't that somehow you know, overly coercive or something in the family. We barely even ask these questions because it's so apparent that love should rule the day and that we're all brothers and sisters working towards a common good. It's just, it's just the truth of the thing. Mm -hmm. So Christianity is the force that says what you experience here, this, this blessing of love that, yeah, this blessing of love is not simply for this enclosed experience that at the age of 18, you then cast off and enter into the real world. In fact, the church is the making family of the world or the remaking family of the world. It's the end of a divorce. It's mm. the, it's the welcoming all the family back together again. That being said, it seems like usury is one of those sins that we can understand in this light that even in the old Testament, it was understood as something abhorrent to family, but what wasn't necessarily understood was the universal call of Israel as a light to the nations that was fulfilled in the Catholic Church. That mm-hmm. now God, who is present to Israel, is present to all the nations in his church. Mm-hmm. So they're broken open. And that thing that was true of simply the Israelite family, you would never charge interest on a loan to a brother, mm-hmm. now becomes the norm for our relations generally. That we're all called to be brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ under God. Uh, with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it's like, it's, yeah. it is, I want to like affirm that it is a special familial act. Like it does have an element of brotherliness, of fraternity, yeah. um, as well as of paternitas, like of being fatherly to mm-hmm. someone, especially with a loan because you're in this position of power above them. But we shouldn't then say, and because it's special, it doesn't always apply as if the church is not destined for the universalization of, of the love of the family until it becomes the very air we breathe. Yeah, I mean, I would even go further. Go further. I'm going to go further, but I'm actually not going to just hold on to the coattails of some of the medievals. They talked about giving a loan as something that was inherently an act of friendship. Wow. Um, and there's different ways we can kind of talk about this or nuance this, but the main you know, question is like, who gets a loan? Well, somebody that needs money, totally. you know? And so by giving them the thing that they need, that is an act of friendship. Yeah. Like you're giving them something yeah. like real, that is a, a true instrument that will enable a better life. So, so there's 
analogies that some of the medievals make to um, alone is grace itself. Another others wow. say that alone is friendship itself. In any case, alone is some sort of a love. And therefore, to turn around and say, on this act of love, you have to give me money. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's perverting the very nature of friendship, right. perverting the very nature of grace. Yeah, yeah, it's no longer a gift that aims towards an uh, equality, but yeah. it becomes the appearance of a gift that actually aims towards superiority of one over the other. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems to me that the, um, you know, someone might respond that, there's nothing friendly about a loan because it puts the other in debt. But I mm. think this is a, it's not so much a misunderstanding of loans, which indeed put people in debt, but it is a misunderstanding, I think, of friendship, which yeah. is involves a debt. Mm-hmm. So what I mean is when someone is a friend to you, when mm-hmm. someone's a, a gift to you, in normal life, what this involves is feeling indebted to them and, and being indebted to them. Right. Yeah. Which is why friends give each other gifts. And most often that gift is just their time and their presence and their conversation, their communication. They enjoy each other. Yeah. And there's a reason why a friendship can fail on the basis of one person sort of paying the debt and the other person not. I mean, you can see this, right? Like if you just ignore your friends, eventually it's not going to work. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So no, if we think of if you think of friendship itself as a kind of willingness to be in the debt of the other, which is why it's a risk. Like, man, it would be safer at the end of the day to just what do people do? Watch uh, <laughs> Netflix. Netflix. Okay. I thought Netflix like went under. You could just you know they lost money. Last you could just quarter. be in your home. Is yeah. my point. <laughs> and you could be and you could be there and you could try to fulfill yourself. But there's a call to risk yourself, like get in debt. Yeah. With the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, it's scary because it's like, well, if I give of myself, then um, will he return? Will she return? Yeah. And vice versa. It's, yeah. So it's always a risk, but that's what makes life exciting is that you get to go risk debt with others. Yeah. And be caught by others. I mean, then you, then you kind of get addicted to like being in real friendships with one another. It's yeah, like, yeah. wow, that yeah. worked. Like yeah. we actually are close. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you, and usually, and usually it seems to be... It, it's a, on the one hand, it's a, it can be considered as a sort of work of greed, right? Because you are trying to make money without doing anything in particular. It's the loan yeah. itself that is, you are claiming means you get a, a return more than what you were, what you gave out. Um, but it's also, it seems like a, a way of, of like amassing a certain sense of security. Like, I know I'm being very broad, but I think it's helpful to think of like the kind of people that it creates like it creates mm-hmm. people for whom the gift has to be negated in its quality as gift like it has to not only sure return but have even even more so like it always has to be to my advantage right. yeah. and it's tough because we live in a world where i really think people who are not bad people who are good people who would never do this to their friends who mm-hmm. who who love and love sacrificially mm-hmm. and love without sometimes without even expecting any return and where they do expect a return, it's in a natural way of like a return of love is what's expected in their friendships. But the moment they turn to their loans, it's like all of that goes out the window and they enter into a new sphere and money does this a lot. Money always has a self justifying sphere of its own existence that for whatever reason, seems like maybe a magic spell uh, (laughs) says like, okay, none of the things that otherwise apply, apply. Your Christianity right. doesn't yeah. apply. Mm-hmm. Your sense of love and obligation don't apply. Right. You you get to, well, in this case, you get to 
charge interest on a loan. Yeah. <laughs> and so the church is always the one, no matter how like old and hoary it sounds when it says, no, usoria. <laughs> She says. <laughs> she says. <laughs> she says it repeatedly, not because she has some like weird moral hang-up over a sort of a nicety of of economics, but because she guards us in our friendships. I mean, mm-hmm. she's the one responsible for spreading friendship out into the world, spreading family out into the world until it becomes the very order of the day. Yeah. So when she sees something like, oh, this symbol of, as you say, the mm-hmm. symbol of friendship itself, it's almost a sacrament, like. Mm-hmm. If a friend is one who gives to the other, then alone is like both representing and in fact doing it. Yeah. So it's sort of sacramental <laughs> in that way. Well, then, the, you know, if if people are negating the very yeah. gift quality of the sacrament of friendship, the church is, is sure as darn tootin' gonna step up and say something. Yeah. And she has. Right. And, that, and that is one of the big d- denials that I find just abhorrent from Catholics these days is that they just keep pretending like she hasn't consistently said yeah, I mean, we we won't no um, usury. kind of bug everybody with just citing all the Do fathers, it. but we, well, we, <laughs> we'll um, just post all those down in the descriptions here. I mean, it's just it's just an army, and the church fathers said it universally. The the things that I kind of been interested in or have been interested in recently has been how did we give up on this doctrine? Kind of a, and then. What have kind of the, what's been the last word from the church on it as okay. well? All right, and um, and part of the r- answer for like how did we like get get off of this teaching? It really, a lot of economic historians they point to a guy named Louis de Molina, um, and then the last word on it was on by Pope Benedict the Fourteenth about three hundred years ago, seventeen forty five, baby. Um, in Vix Prevenit. And so we'll read parts of that and see um, and I see if any of the arguments that people use to kind of justify usury today, um, if they fit within what we'll read and consider from, from the tradition. Um, the last definition that the church gave us on, on usury was from the Fifth Lateran Council, And it went like this. Usury is defined as when, from its use, a thing that produces nothing is applied to the acquiring of profit without any work, any expense, or any risk. Hmm. So, there you have it. It's anything, and part of the reason why it's anything and not just money is, is, well, as St. Thomas says, anything can be money. You know, anything that can have some sort of quantitative numeric value that enables for exchanges to happen, valuations to happen, you're treating that thing like money at that point yeah. because you're because you're exchanging it. Money becomes, or a house becomes money insofar as it's right. exchanged type right. thing. You know, yeah. that's, that's his argument. I would presume also that given whenever the Lateran Council was, which one? Uh, 1517, I think. 1517, yeah. that there is... Fifth probably line. still not yet the ubiquity of money and that even with loans there's probably the in-kind usury that we might not be as familiar with like yeah every day you don't give me a chicken you got to give me 0.67 percent of a chicken <laughs> um my son calls when we have dinner at night blaze he he calls chicken bok bok he's like more bok bok <laughs> i want more bok bok that reminds me of a terrible joke <laughs> Bach, Bach, who's there? No, it's... <laughs> what? Oh, oh, stupid. Why did Mozart kill all of his chickens? Because they kept on saying Bach, Bach. 
<laughs> which is like historical. It's like a historical. Still pretty good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do we have? Why we gave up on this? Yeah. Um. Well, let's get that second. I, I want to hit Vix Perveni, you know, yeah. first. So I got it right here. You got it right here? I got it right here. Hey, look about this. It's a short encyclical. Back from the times when when they said letter, they meant letter. <laughs> yeah. <And> not book. <laughs> you sent me what? Well, there's a few parts of it that I want to read. Um, we got the definition already. What Benedict XIV does is he really, really grounds this in what I would say becomes the Franciscan tradition here. Um, uh, the Fifth Lateran Council, they explicitly do so as well. They take the arguments and the considerations from mainly Scotists rather than Thomists um, to make their, their declarations. Can we just read the first and let's uh, just par- do it. paragraph yeah. uh, 3-1? Yeah. Because that just yeah, seems yeah, very clear. It. All right. The nature of the sin called usury has its proper place and origin in a loan contract. This financial contract between consenting parties demands by its very nature that one return to another only as much as he received. The sin rests on the fact that sometimes the creditor desires more than he has given. Boom. Love it. Two booms. Yeah. Yep. Therefore, he contends, some gain is owed him beyond that which he loaned but any gain which exceeds the amount he gave is illicit and usurious. Okay, so there you get the setup. Like the sin is something that is wrong in and of itself. I mean, that's how um, Thomas Aquinas, um, you know, in you know, per se, uh, secundum se, like according to its very act, it is wrong. But of course, like all sins, it's not just something that's external, it's something that's internal. And the, and the desire that's disordered according to Pope Benedict Fourteenth, is that you are trying to get more than you give. Yep. It's not just. You can't do that. And, and then and he I says, think that's, that's yeah. really profound, and I just don't think that people get this sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, when I hear people defending usury or saying usury has changed or that it only applies to some very like limited number of acts that no one ever does, yeah. um, I always want to ask them if they think if they really think that this is true, that you should only get back as much as you loan. Because if this principle is true, and they really believe it, mm-hmm. then the only things we can debate about, really, is whether there are times when you, when what you have loaned out is more than, say, the dollar amount that it appears to be, because there's additional considerations. Mm-hmm. And then there's a debate about that. But that is not a debate about whether you can charge interest on a loan as such. That's a debate about whether you can... To calculate how much your loan was in in a, a different way. Uh, right. Maybe that'll become clear later. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. like okay. I really doubt people's um, own defense of themselves. Like I think what's obviously happening is that people just think that you should be able to get more than you give. And in the, fact, they yeah. think it's foolish that you would otherwise give if you weren't going to get more than you give. Yeah, but I also think that very few people actually give out loans that are usurious today. Mm, that's probably true. I mean, I really, I mean, this is kind of one of the things that confuse me and you know, people feel free to like, you know, comment on this. I'd, I'd be curious about your responses. Um, that so few people give out loans and can be, 
you know, held responsible for being a user. Most people can be held responsible for being a speculator, but that's a different economic sin. Yeah. I think, but I, you talk to folks, and I talk to a lot of folks that get really heated and really want to defend usury. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, like, what's your beef in the game? I mean, you're not on the good side of this, right? I mean, you are not giving out money and charging interest. Probably you are paying yeah. some significant interest on your student loans, on your house, on your car. Yeah. Um, that you're you're like actually on the bad side of it. And I wonder if it's um I guess either kind of the best interpretation maybe is that I couldn't have these things without the ability to get a sure. loan. It's like, okay, fair, but that's doesn't have anything to do with interest. And then they would push back and say, Well, they wouldn't give me the loan if I didn't give me interest. It's like, okay, that's that's fair enough, but that's not a reason to defend it, though. Yeah. I mean, St. Thomas actually addresses that and says, you know, if you're you're stuck, you know, there could be a case in which somebody that's asking for a loan does sin um, by putting somebody in that position that they don't need to be in. But most of the time, people just need the loan, yeah, you know, right, to get totally. the money. And in that case, they're totally blameless. Um, and the fault and, is on... And the fault is on the other person, yeah. you know? Um so that's kind of one yeah, it's thing. Like the, that's like the an, an answer to like, well, they wouldn't give a loan otherwise. It's like, yeah, isn't that foul? Yeah. <laughs> we live in a world where people won't give loans. Yeah. <laughs> unless they can find a way to make it, make them money. Yeah. Don't, don't try and, you know, defend them. It's okay. You know, yeah. the other thing is that we're just kind of stuck in a Stockholm syndrome. Maybe that's actually the same no, answer. No, I know what you're saying. You know, yeah. where like you're, you're captured. You don't have any way out. And therefore, just to be psychologically at peace, you try and justify yeah, your but captors. I, I think that's true. But I, I also think that there's a way in which um, a defense of usury is sort of a defense of the world right now. It's a defense of what's normal. Mm -hmm. So like, I think people have a sense, even if they don't think it all the way through, that if we didn't allow for charging interest on a loan at some level, we simply wouldn't have the economy we have we wouldn't have a lot of the technologies we have mm -hmm. like we wouldn't be able to motivate large amounts of capital to like change the world in some way if we didn't feel confident that we can motivate people for um their own private gain by saying like well right. if we can get a hold of this massive amount of capital then you will in fact make more money <laughs> um and so i think that there's a way in which i find catholics doing this all the time where they're very scared of critiques that and and I think it's fair. Like I get scared of critiques sometimes, where I'm like, "Oh wait, if I follow this all the way through, we should definitely all be farming." Yeah. And that's scary because like <laughs> most people don't want to farm, right? Yeah. So you know what I mean. So you yeah. kind of like back up from the critique. I think there might be something yeah. like that going on too. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Because what the alternative is is if you want a society that can still utilize, you know, large amounts of capital on the basis of needs, mm -hmm. then you're going to need people to want to give, to want to give loans mm -hmm. for some reason besides private gain, which means they have to be virtuous. Again, it comes back to this every time. Like it means you need people devoted to the common good. So yeah. when someone says, Hey, we need a $20,000 loan to, I don't know, make this, make this uh, canal that we need happen. You'll get your money back. But since we're good Christians here, not a penny more, right? Yeah. <laughs> then you need people that are like, awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad I have my money on hand. We're going to get the canal. This is <laughs> awesome. Capital meets labor and great things happen. Right? You need that. Um, 
so there's a I think a realization of how little virtue we have, how the 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 minuscule amount of enthusiasm we have for the common good, that per- pervasive our, of our society is mm-hmm. a doubt that anyone cares about the common good, um, unless they can be somehow roped into it by some appeal to their individual interest. I mean, even when you're like trying to ask people for money for a charitable cause, you have to like give them dinner or something these days. No, I mean it. You gotta like, they have to like play bingo for it. They, yeah. they have to, you have to like trick them into it being for your private interest. Even though you all know that it's not, you got a bunch of people together in a room and you're like, all right, I'm about to ask you guys all for money, yeah. but here play poker for a little while. Yeah. So that when you give it, it's sort of like, you, you know, I don't know. Just, it's, anyways, but you know what I'm saying? I think that maybe yeah, that, maybe the defensive user, you kind of, Runs along some of those lines. Yeah, no, and I think that makes sense. And I think that's a, a, a fair justification. I think it goes along with, I couldn't have the things that I would have right now without the loans. Like, yeah. It's not just like the economy at large in the abstract sense. Do you think? I think that's part of it, but it's also like the concrete, like I wouldn't have this, yeah, that, car and the other right yeah. now. Car yeah, house yeah, yeah, like a mortgage. Like I wouldn't yeah. have a house. Yeah. Or at least not the house I have. I, would, I offered you I know, I didn't know you that well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> What about, do you also think, it seems to me like people are scared of um, being uh, anti-Semites? And I mean this, because there's been like Mm. an academic sort of trend of any critique of Mm. usury becomes somehow a critique of the Jewish people, historically speaking. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe. It's not really first and foremost. I've certainly never thought mind. of that. And yeah. it's not on people. I don't know yeah. that it's on people's mind, but I think yeah. it's become one of the reasons it's not like happening on a on an academic level. Yeah, maybe that's true. I think, I think academics then lend themselves to to claims of anti Semitism if you just say like I think usury is something wicked and then you sound like you're in line with a tradition of like Jew hating or something. Right. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny because so many Catholics are doing the exact same thing. Well, that's thing, the thing. You know? It seems irrelevant to yeah. to the, what's on the ground here. It's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, there's Protestants, Christians, probably not Muslim, Muslims though, right? I mean, like faithful they're, Muslims are not doing this stuff. They have some interesting banking techniques and such, but, but even they're caving. So, Americana, baby. Muslims, why? <laughs> you were our last hope. Uh, <laughs> um, I... You know, but well, now you got you Muslims might as well convert to Catholicism now. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like your cool thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just gave it up. <laughs> Give in the rest of the way. Come on, baby. Uh, well, okay. So a number of people would say, you know, wait, wait, wait I got some more critiques, mm-hmm. and um, totally, and Pope Benedict, knowing what the folks on the ground are saying. Pope of the people. Pope of the people. Yeah, that's definitely him. Um, he he says, look, there's a number of ways that people try and justify usury. You know, uh, charging, you know, more than what you gave. Yeah. And I'm just going to read those. He yeah. says, um, one cannot condone the sin of usury by arguing that the gain is not great or excessive, but rather moderate or small. Neither wow. can hold it, up. Pause okay, there. Okay. That is definitely what people say. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, they say it's just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like loan sharks and stuff. I mean, Trent Horn actually explicitly said that in yeah. our debate, um, which w- did not apply um, to speculation. We I, I was before. honestly, I, I had yeah. fallen so deep into drunkenness by halfway through that debate. I don't remember this. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really. That's that's scandalous to say. I didn't really. I wasn't really drunk. Um, but I was frustrated. 
drunk with passion. Yes. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but this right here just seems, I mean, insofar as you want just positive claims from the magisterium, this yes. seems to be a fascinating one. You, you just cannot condone usury by arguing that the, gr- the gain is not great. Yeah. Why does this matter? I mean, so, I mean, a lot of people might be like, okay, that just sounds like a normal thing to say. But so many people make this claim that the church only condemns amounts of interest that place an undue burden on people. So the argument, it's weird. I just don't know where they're getting it from, but I guess it's, it's somewhere out there uh, in the ether. But they argue that, okay, the church isn't condemning interest. It's just if that interest is, is a lot. And then so they'll immediately make a jump from saying, and I think it's to some ways like to defend the church after cutting her legs off to be like, yeah, she was kind of wrong about this. A little embarrassing for us now that we're all modern capitalists, but it's still bad when people charge like 500% interest on a loan or some like insane predatory behavior. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, good. You guys, thank you for, thank you for getting on board with condemning like the absolute dregs of humanity like (laughs) yes the church in fact still thinks it's awful to grind the face of the poor into cement and then pour vinegar on them yes thank you (laughs) but like that's not all that's happening here you know and this is great that it's here because now we can just put that aside if you've ever heard that argument you know that authoritatively it's a dumb one yeah (laughs) you don't even need to know why that's the beautiful that's what's beautiful about magisterial positivism yeah you have you have no need to participate in christianity you simply have a text here that says you can't condone the sin of usury by arguing that the gain is not greater excessive but rather moderate or small there you go it's as simple as that um yeah i you know that is kind of funny though that a lot of people i i actually heard this pretty much exclusively from people that defend modern market practices that they actually say that encyclicals are not authoritative teachings. Well, you have to. You got to throw this stuff out because yeah. if you don't, um, then you you stand pretty condemned. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and that's really sad too because encyclicals are, they're looking, what encyclicals are, are letters written to bishops and the laity, sometimes people of all goodwill, but uh, it's they're addressed primarily the, the Catholics because what they're doing is looking back at the tradition and giving an authoritative interpretation of certain teachings within it. Yeah. So it's authoritative, bro, you know? Yeah, and it's also like, who are you to be like, oh, I I don't, like, okay, let's say it's not authoritative. The Pope still wrote you a letter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like the the idea of this, like, t- like okay, maybe I need to back up to make myself clear, because I get frustrated with this sort of behavior. I really do. Well, it's because people come in to, Catholic- a lot of us that do it are converts, Okay, And then we say, um, we really fell in love with the church of the past. And then we don't really want to hear from authorities anymore. Sure. And so we just kind of bring in our Protestantism or whatever, our liberalism. Well, if you love the church of the past, you should sure love 1745 Vix Pervenit. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Says the Latin scholar. Um <laughs> No, I I just want to make this quick argument because this really does frustrate me, which is basically, it goes something like this. You end up saying for some obscure, insane reason that Mm -hmm. like some, some obviously authoritative document is not authoritative. So you say something crazy about Vatican II, like, oh, well, Vatican II didn't teach us anything new, so I don't have to listen to it. As Mm -hmm. if like teaching new things was somehow a a requirement of a freaking council. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. But so say you make that claim, you still then have to sit back and say, okay, well, where does that leave us? Namely, if you're talking about Vatican II, that all the bishops in the world just told you to do something. 
or in this case, that the Pope, Pope Benedict, the 14th, that means he's 14 times better than the first, that he says that you shouldn't do something and you're like, not authoritative. Like, how smart are you, man? I mean, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it's not actually a good argument because all it leaves you with is saying like, well, I have, I think you don't, but you think you have some technical loophole. And so what's actually happening is not like legally binding on your conscience. Sure. But you're just ignoring the Pope. Turns out. It's not a great place to be. It is kind of scary. I mean, there's probably a, yeah, this needs to have like a pretty serious conversation, but it is the move of the SSPX. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're, they do not deny, for instance, the, the, Pope Francis is the Pope. I mean, that is one of their principles that they affirm mm-hmm. that they just don't listen to him. Yeah. And when Pope St. John Paul II was both condemning and excommunicating them, um, he, he made that really clear. He yeah. said that you are still denying the premier authority of the Pope, yep. you know, and that, that is Protestant. You know, and well, it, it actually might even be atheistic because a lot of atheists will say, look back and say, um, look, we got a line of of people claiming to be the successor of St. Peter. And historically, it seems to really check out. But what does that have to do with me? That doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so you might have that same historical affirmation without realizing that that's the person that Jesus Christ set to shepherd you you know well it's it's wild to me because it's it's like it makes sense why it's such an american phenomenon this yes, stuff it's true yeah is because in french because it's basically <laughs> the like f you dad uh of of the pious catholic world which mm-hmm. is a wild thing to say but i think it is it's like it'd be like if i say like um oh yeah i mean i acknowledge my dad's my dad technically speaking uh yeah he gave birth, or he, gave, <laughs> he, he made me, he participated in the making of me, all right? But I don't have to listen to him when he speaks. He's not yeah. telling me anything new, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, all right, we get it, you're cool. You, yeah. don't, you don't like your dad, I guess you're cool. It's terrible. Yeah, anyways, I know that's a really tough one, and, you know, especially with, you know, some pretty insane things that are being said in the modern church all across the way, but um, to really have... I mean, we're, we're called to be like Mary, and she's going to guide us through, and, and having her form of docility. Right. Um, and it's also... Like that's the, what we got to pray for. We do. And with usury, it's not like it's this big... I mean, I mean, you, you might you might be freaked out about something Pope Francis says, but when we're talking about usury... Don't worry, this isn't him. We're, yeah, A, yeah, don't worry, it's not Frank. <laughs> You're fine. Second of all, it's usury, man. It's condemned in the Bible. It's like we're, we're well within the tradition here. This is... Yeah. This is not. This should not ring to us as as somehow innovative in yeah. any degree. Okay, so we got that first one. All right, so you know. stop making the argument that it matters how much usury you get. Yeah, it's not. A, <laughs> it, sorry, so it, this is actually important because here what Benedict is saying is that it's not a quantitative thing; it's a qualitative thing. Yeah. He already did that by by you know in the first paragraph by saying this is not just an external act, which is wrong, which it is. But it's also an internal act. So this is a qualitative thing, all right? Yep. Okay, what's the second thing that he says we can't? One cannot condone the usury by arguing that it that the gain is not great or excessive, but rather moderate and small. Neither can it can be condoned, sorry, be condoned by arguing that the borrower is rich. 
Okay, so that's the second thing. Neither can it be condoned. Because you do find this in um, like Exodus, for instance, that you're not supposed to um, charge interest upon the poor. Mm, gotcha. um, and so they specifically use that term. And a lot of church fathers do that too. And, gotcha. and obviously that is the major concern. Because they're the ones who are needy. They're the ones asking for loans. Yeah. yeah. But you find this today. Like I, you know, I have a, a buddy who's, you know, works for a rich guy and the rich guy wanted a new plane. And so he could have just paid cash for the plane, no problem. But he ended up getting a loan for it. Mm precisely because he knew that he could beat interest, the interest rate in the market, right? So he's making 6% in the market. The interest rate is only 2%. So, of course, I'm just going to borrow money because I can... I have heard this. I have heard that generally yeah. it's better to have tons of debts than <laughs> it is to have uh, inflation. No, maybe I'm getting the argument wrong. Well, the idea is that if you are borrowing money in the right places, then you're still going to make more money if you're I investing I what you're keeping. Investing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's how it goes. But that doesn't condone it. So just because the person's rich doesn't mean you can demand interest from him. No, which again leads us back to this, you know, inching towards that conclusion that this is a qualitative thing. It's yeah. not about um, so putting the, somebody in an oppressive position. Right, right. It the has act some, itself has an objective quality, and that quality is evil. Yes. Altogether. And we're getting we're getting to that conclusion of what exactly that is, but well, let's, we'll I, keep reading. Yeah, oh. and I think that... Um, no, let's just keep reading. That's fine. So then he goes on, nor even can you argue, can you condone this in a misery, mm-hmm. by arguing that the money borrowed is not left idle, but is spent usefully, either to increase one's fortune, to purchase new estates, or to engage in business transactions. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really important piece as well, is that a lot of people say, well, usury can only be extracted on non-productive loans. And I think maybe that was in, I can't remember. We you talked mean, about you that. You mean productive loans? Or no? Sorry, when you said usury, Sorry. can people say that usury can only be extracted on productive loans, right? On unproductive, on unproductive lo- loans. Oh, saying that like it's only a sin I when, see, when I you see, charge yeah, yeah. somebody. Because if they're making decide, something, why can't you get a little bit? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure. We might have... I can't... I think we talked about that. This is a problem. We don't listen to our podcast. That would be so lame. <laughs> yeah, it really would be lame. But also people... I can't remember what we said about this last time. But here's the clear teaching um, from, from the Pope is that um, you can still be a usurer if what you are lending to or to whom you're lending is using the money for a productive activity. So I'm going to, you know, give you money and you're going to start a downtown bakery. Please do it. Please do it. Done. All right. Sweet. Um, So that still, you know, leaves, doesn't like permit um, the charging of interest. Mm -hmm. So then we're, we're kind of asked, left with a question. Which to be, to be clear is different than not permitting it to be an investment where you, Join in with the venture and make well, and I think that's that's kind of getting to the point here. Yeah. Then we're left, and I think a lot of people read who read this are like, "Well, when can you like charge interest?" And on one front, it's like, "How does an investment differ?" You know, and I think we can start to put some of the pieces together through what we learn from Olivi and Aquinas and a number of others, and, and John Paul II, um, and it's precisely this: is that the point? of the condemnation of usury is that you cannot put yourself in a contractual relationship that creates enmity between you and another. That's the rub. It's separation. Separation is the rub. 
that's what defines usury. It's paradoxical. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I really think that that makes sense too, is something why Christians in particular would condemn this sin when so many permit it. Because the goal of this life is, as you said, to expand the domestic church. I mean, you mentioned earlier that John Paul II says that the model of the economy should be on, should be the, be the family mm -hmm. and the household itself. But also the whole idea is that we are entering into God who is love. Love, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, is synonymous with friendship. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing, love and friendship. So we expand that out, that, that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal of all of our lives. Yeah. And so if we are engaging in business, any form of business in which we are trying to create enmity, in which we're trying to get, get more than we give, and we are trying to benefit without you know, doing, doing, giving some gift for it, yeah. work without a reward without work, then, yeah. then we've, we're not being a good friend. Totally. And that's just obvious. And, and that's really what Benedict is trying to get to. And he says, you know, there's times when it really becomes difficult to determine whether or not something is usurious or not. And because ultimately it is a sin, it is something that is internal, but we can get s certain markers of a usurious contract by the external form. And, you know, the internal always, you know, marks itself in the external form. So what are some like examples of that? Well, well Levy gives us a ton. You know, he says, um, if you're starting that bakery and I'm going to give you, you know, $50,000 to start your bakery. Dude, thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. But there's always a guarantee that I'm going to get that $50,000 back plus, say, 25%, 30% on top of it. Um, and if your business fails and you're not able to make that 30% return, you still have to give me the 50,000. He says, that's still usury. Why? Because uh, you're not really in it together. Gotcha. It's not a real societas. That word is being misused. You're not unionized together and yeah. you're like united, truly yeah. like married together. Yeah, yeah. Obviously people who listen to the previous podcast will know that that word was used to talk about a husband and a wife. Yeah, societas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Societas. So, so and so I think there's kind of like a fair, clear example is that there's always the advantage going to the one with the, with the money. There's totally. a preference to capital over labor there. Yeah, when it's supposed to be the reverse. <laughs> and it seems like... Yeah, John Paul II says that explicitly in Labor McSerson's 14, I think it is, yeah. where the priority is always for labor yep. over yep, capital. Yep, yep. Yeah. It, it seems like the... Um, though you seem to have two moral principles going on there. I could be wrong. But okay. on the one hand, you have uh, the ban on usury. On the other hand, there seems to be that problem of a loan in which you do not risk anything because you are not actually the the payment is not actually attached the repayment of the loan is not actually attached to the success of the venture for the for the lender so you lend to me to do the bakery but mm -hmm. at the end of the day you're saying look i don't care how the bakery does at the end of the day you got to get me my money back right and if the bakery goes under then you better figure out a way to do that now i can yeah. see how usury mm -hmm. makes that really likely that that's what's happening because you're actually always paying more than mm -hmm. you know you're, you're indefinitely obligated to pay for more than what was loaned out but it does seem like you could couldn't you have that wickedness whatever its name would be without technical usury that is without 
charging interest on the loan? Well, I think... Just simply say you're... Yeah, you could in a certain sense, but there's I think there's two answers to to that, why it is actually just strictly usury. Okay. One, like consider again the definition that Benedict Fourteenth provides. It's, the sin rests on the fact that sometimes the creditor desires more than he has given. Yes. He isn't given complete assurance for success. I see. But he's getting it. Uh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So he's, he's, he's not given a risk-free amount of money. And yet he's getting kind of he's a risk-free. Risk. Yeah. And people will say, look, there's always a risk. Like the, the person could go under, they could file bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's just missing the point. You know, we've talked about it again. Risk is a sign that reveals the more underlying principle. Are you in it with somebody else? Yeah. It's not risk per se. That's Well, right. And even, and even if you were to make some kind of argument that like, well, they could always declare bankruptcy and get out of it. Mm-hmm. You're saying that um, you're justifying it on the basis that like, you can run this person into the ground for everything they've got. And then, okay, they get out of it because I guess it would be wrong to make them your slave yeah. at that point. <laughs> but you have to confess that, that it's simply the legal structure entering in there, protecting that person, namely bankruptcy. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, it's not your virtue. <laughs> yeah. Somebody like somebody's actually required to protect that person from you. Yeah, I know. And if that, if that's what you think moralizes the, the serious loan. I mean, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other side is that the, um, within the 16th century definition, which I think they're all related and, and they're not contradictory at all, is that, from a thing that produces nothing is applied to the acquiring of profit without any work. Um, again, it, it comes to that point of the acquisition of some sort of stability, yeah. you know, that is not applied. So anyways, I, I, I think, I think it does still hold. I think there's probably room within um, theological economics to like make some developments here. But yeah. Yeah. So it seems like most, Arguments that I hear, though, amount to something like this. They mm-hmm. say that, okay, maybe this was all true, but now money in our modern economy has a changed significance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking of John John Finnis's argument. Um, maybe I should read it. Can I read it? It's in your. Yeah. It's, it's from your dissertation. So yeah, baby. Just reading it back to you. Um. So he says, he's justifying usury or he's saying it's not usury. If one takes as the measure of loss of profit, i.e. lost alternative income, the general or average return on morally acceptable investments in a genuine capital market available to the lender. Okay, so what what seems to me Finnis is arguing and what I've heard from other people is that today... Mm -hmm. You could always take your money mm-hmm. and put it in pretty much guaranteed investments. So, right, uh, government bonds, bonds, sure, <laughs> or like the you know the van- index. Vanguard yeah. index yeah, yeah, funds. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the one. Um, and pretty much guarantee a return, right. and that return would look a lot like interest, like in the sense of I don't know what percentage do you think on on my index fund? Oh, I mean two three percent. Two three percent. Okay. Yeah. So the the point is this: if I am ever going to loan you ten thousand dollars, I could always have taken that ten thousand dollars and put it in those funds, and that would have gotten me more money. So I'm justified then 
in saying, oh, well, when I give that $10,000 to you to make your skate park, yeah, baby. <laughs> I won't be able to think you're cool. No. <laughs> 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 um, maybe skate parks aren't cool when you're 30. I should have walked out. Yeah, real, real. Look who's a sucker now. <laughs> okay, but if I give you that $10,000. We're not 30 yet. Come on. We're still young and right. vibrant. That's Come right, on. we are. Uh, if I give you that $10,000 then um, I am losing an opportunity that I could have had to, at the very least, invest in these kind of guaranteed return yeah. funds. Uh, and maybe I could have even invested in something more. But um, And so I am justified in asking for that same amount in interest because in the same because I'm losing something. So my so in a sense it's like saying this, it's like saying now in the modern economy when you give a loan, you don't just give you always lose an opportunity to right. make more money. Yeah. And so the total cost of your loan includes that opportunity somehow. I mean this is what I constantly hear. Yeah, and that actually begins with this Louis de Molina guy, you know. Does it? Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. We should say um yeah, I actually think Finnis's arguments are better than than Molina's, but but if I was to give a kind of a quick 45 second snapshot of Molina, he was a um Spaniard? Yeah, he was from the school of Salamanca uh and was working on these economic problems. And he's seeing a transitioning economy. He sees the rise of money lending. He sees the rise of speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, he sees the rise of mercantile um, endeavors and activity, excuse me. Um, but primarily, he's concerned with things getting worse. So at certain points, he has these five arguments to try and justify the charging of interest on a loan. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, some of them, he walks back and he says, I don't think that these really do justify the, the charging of interest, but if we don't permit it, something worse is going to happen, mm -hmm. you know, and which is a, kind of a part of his argument that a lot of guys at the Acton Institute don't include. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but his arguments are, are, I mean, yeah, I guess we can read them as well. Do they're it. in it's there as well. It. If okay. they're with us this far, they're ready for the critique of Molinism. <laughs> Not the Molinism that you heard about it, predestination. I'm on the page, I think. Is right? that the one? Okay. Uh, okay, so he has these five arguments. Two of them are exactly the same. So it's pretty much four, four arguments. Um, and what you do find within some sort of permissibility uh, to charge interest on a loan is, uh, and this is actually even codified in uh, the Fifth Lateran Council, is that um, there's an exception for what's called damnum emergens, which is if there's like some real loss where somebody's not able to st to maintain and provide for those who are under their care, which is you know a term that Aquinas likes to use, um, then they can ask for more back than what they gave, so long as a person is working and has means of working. Um, so as to make up the loss that that person had, um, that, the, that, that, that person suffered. That the lender suffered. That the lender yeah. suffered, okay. But that has to be prearranged before. They have to write it out. They have to determine if this happens. So, so like if you don't give me my $10,000 back by December, then I won't be able to pay X person that's going to put me in poverty. Therefore, yeah. to pay for that loss, that actual damage, I'm going to need this much money 
per month, say, for you to pay for my food yeah. until I can get that money back to do X, Y, or Z. Exactly. So it's it's really, and I think it's important to spell it out like that because mm-hmm. people say that like it's interest. Right, it's not. It's not interest. No. It's more like a penalty or like a, a late fee where the late fee is determined not arbitrarily the way banks do uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, but determined according to a real need that's that you can point to and that you actually agree upon. Right. Yeah. Late fees are often like a motivation for people to like make sure to get it, you know, get yeah, it back yeah, sooner. Yeah. We want that money now, not later. And in this case, it's what, when St. Thomas uses that term and when I've seen in many economic treatises, when, when that damnum emergence is mentioned, it's really because like, look, that guy stepped out on a limb for you. He tried to come through as a friend for you, be a friend back to him, yeah. you know? So it really gets back to the internal orientation of one's soul. All right. So what Molina does is that he elevates damnum emergence to this idea of lucrum sessons, which is like you lost a chance to make a profit, gotcha. you know? So it's not just that uh, you're not going to be able to feed your family, but actually I could have used that $10,000 to start, you know, a laundromat and I could have made a lot of money through that way. Mm-hmm. And so all that profit that I am now not enjoying because I gave you the money instead, you got to pay me that profit. And Thomas already answered this question. Okay. Levy answers this question. I mean, it really clearly and beforehand in quite a number of ways. But the most important one is, um, dude, you only had that virtually and potentially. Those are the terms that, that Aquinas uses. Um, you only had that, that, profit that profit from some other thing. Yeah. Virtually and potentially. Yeah, and potentially. You yeah. didn't have it actually, and therefore you don't have any claim to it. I know. It, I was just about to say, like, that's insane. Like, I could be like, you know, with that money, I probably could have been a really successful investment yeah. banker. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how much you owe me. It's not just that I lost an opportunity cost. I lost the best opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so that's, a, that's kind of a, a major problem is that, again – the if you get a reward based upon having given the community some sort of real benefit, yeah. then why should you get the reward if you didn't give the benefit? Right, right. You didn't it, do that thing. You didn't do the thing, bro. You <laughs> but know? I could have. Yeah, yeah. No, that's wild. That's a wild argument. <laughs> um, but do you think that changes with regards to Finnis's argument? Because it seems like where he's going uh, is that, well, it's not, it's, it's precisely because the ability to invest your money in these, um, I say invest. The ability to, for, to let other people speculate with your money in uh, stocks mm-hmm. or bonds, or I think bonds are pretty secure, right? That's the idea. Um, well, yeah, we talk about government bonds as being kind of risk-free because they're just right. as good as but long as... The point, the point is that they're very much available to everyone. Right. And That's so right. it do, maybe it doesn't fall prey to this critique that you just gave, which is like, sure, Aquinas can say, hey, man, you didn't... Um, well, no, I guess because you still haven't actually even invested in those things. It's still only virtually and potentially. You're only virtually and potentially invested in Yeah, if you like take your money out account. of them, that then it might apply. Like you asked me for $10,000, so I divest I from the market and I give you the 10000 right. Maybe that would apply. But that's not what okay. Finnis says. But anyways, so there's one idea. The second critique of this argument uh, it's like very clearly seen in, in Olivi, and it's that, dude, you made the choice not to invest and to give the loan to your friend instead. Mm-hmm. That was conscientious. Mm-hmm. Just claim it. Mm-hmm. There's a major problem that we find today, but apparently it's like all throughout history too, is that we don't want to live 
with the effect of our actions. Oh, yeah. We just we just don't want to face those. And so we want to have we want to do our action but get some other sort of effect and that is putting a burden undue one as well on someone else. So in this case yeah. it's um you know in, in this case it's in a sense having somebody else be industrious on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we want to we yeah. want to say I took that money out and devoted it to this particular work. Mm -hmm. But I would still like a return as if I had done something else <laughs> yeah. with it. Yeah. Or if, yeah, or I could have done something else with it, so I want that. It also seems like it's kind of weirdly doubling it up. I don't know how else to say this, that when you say, okay, if I give you a loan, mm -hmm. I could have done this with it. Um, well, maybe this is only in the case of investment. It just it wouldn't make much sense in the case of investment because if, if for instance, in giving your loan to a productive venture, you're also, say, getting a percentage of the profits of it, Yeah. to then say that there's an opportunity cost lost just seems wild because you took an opportunity and you are <laughs> gaining from it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I understand how you can sort of think this if you're just getting your money back, period, that right. you lost some opportunity to make money, but you've already shown, I think, mm -hmm. why that, that doesn't make any sense either. Mm -hmm. But especially if it's any kind of on top of any kind of um, sharing the profits, it seems right. ridiculous. Yep. Um, hmm. Melina not coming out on top here, but I guess we don't have him in no. the room. I'm sure he's... You know what? He is, yeah, and uh, his um, arguments are not based in theological principles for the most part. They're based on um, what's happening in a society. Mm -hmm. Like people are renting out their tools. So I, you know, and, the, and money is a tool as a merchant. And therefore, why can't he rent that out for a price? So that's one of his arguments. He gotcha. says that fishermen um, will sell their catch, you know, for the day before they've gone and gotten it, you know. Uh, you know, so why can't um, people make, a, why can't merchants make a projection of how much money they're going to make from their venture and charge that? you know, before yeah. they've gotten, before they've gotten it as well. Um, those are the arguments that he makes. They're not, they're not principled arguments. They're comparison arguments. Sure. And that's just very unsatisfying next to the hard theological work that everybody's well, trying yeah. to do. No, I think it's, it's yeah. unsatisfying because, yeah, especially because in those examples, mm -hmm. the, the fisherman is working for a living, is right. consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas when you're just talking about the use of money in a venture, you're yeah. talking about using a superfluity. Like, yeah. Yeah. The last argument that he gives is um, with um, a king. A king can like pays back merchants their money when the king seizes the money from them to go to the war. Oh, okay. Which is another very strange argument because they didn't have a choice, you right. know? And also there's their... There's no definite contract that's made in those cases either. It is, again, based upon some sort of custom of the time. There might be some justification for that, but to just say that that's an easy parallel or some sort of analog with what's happening in, okay. in a loan contract okay. is, again, bizarre. So Melina kind of starts this, and then we end up to today where we have Finnis yeah. echoing this in some way by saying, well, look, you always have an opportunity of available to you so you you're justified in charging that the that opportunity that was lost you're justified yeah, in getting right. it and it seems like the only thing that's changed between him and melina is just that there's uh more opportunities to be a merchant in that regard yeah, like i think that's right 
and so it feels more ubiquitous, but it seems like if we're going to look at the objective act, it's still wrong. It's like... Yeah. Anscombe actually does... She condemns usury too, but she, I think she does a really good job trying to understand it. One of her the things that she sees is that um, she has this kind of shop window principle. She says, Explain it. Um, you know, this, I, I can describe this book to you. Okay. I can, you know, I can tell you what it says. You know, we can read it together. We can enjoy it. It could sit and it's pretty on, on a shelf, you know. Um, there's a lot of qualitative things. But as soon as I try and sell it, yeah. then we have to compare it to what else, what all the other books that are in the market to okay. try and figure out what a fair value of this is. Yeah. yeah. She says the same principle is being applied in the modern economy to money that money has already gotten in a shop window, for instance. And what all the interest rate is, is the sale price of money. Yeah. And therefore, if you can use money in one way over here, say investing in stocks, um, to get a return, well, there you see part of the sale price of money. It's like, well, how much does money cost? Well, it's, you know, four bucks to buy it over, over there, yeah. you know, or comparing it you know, to other, other ways of, of investing or storing yeah. your money. So anyways, these, uh, I think that principle is, is really what's on point today. And when folks say, well, hey, we, we're just dealing with a different type of money today than we were back then. It was like, well, yeah, obviously we're dealing with a different type of money, but money is not live, move and breathe today any more than it did 400 years ago. Yeah. And, and I think that's really, really, you know, important to realize is that if we're talking about the efficient causality, what, who's the actor that's actually creating an increase in this case, a profit? Well, clearly it's a person. It's the creative mind. And St. Thomas, you know, says this, like the principal efficient cause is the person who's actually able to move the thing, to, to endeavor. Mm-hmm. Money just serves as an instrumental cause. It's, it's a tool that does need to be used. It is required. Sure. Yeah. No argument. We, that's right. But it's not actively moving. It's not working. People are. People are making that decision. And that's what needs to be, what we kind of need to remind ourselves of, is that because the financial apparatuses that we have today are so complicated, and few people understand how they work. We think that money, the capital today, is just going on its own. It, and it's just not. Yeah. It's not doing anything different than yeah. what normal money is when you pass it over the counter at your grocery store. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this has always struck me as what's weird about these arguments. Maybe it was because, at least with New Polity, in, in my thinking of this, we had already ended up condemning stock ownership mm-hmm. as such. Um it seemed reasonable for a lot of reasons, but the idea from people saying that you can now charge interest on a loan seems to be a uncritical view of things like the stock market mm-hmm. where they say like, look, you can always invest your money in stocks and therefore yeah. you can always um, charge for that lost opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really strike me in particular because I've, already become convicted that you can't invest your money in stocks. You should not do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is, this is the other, this is the other thing that's weird about that kind of argument is that I don't know that it makes sense to universalize it because most people 
still don't actually invest their money. So what I mean mm. is this, like if I've got 20 bucks, Finnis is over there saying, if I lend that 20 bucks, I'm justified in asking for a two to 3% return on the loan because I could have invested it in the, in the stock market. Mm -hmm. But I was definitely not going to invest that $20 <laughs> in the stock market. No, I mean it. Like yeah. I wasn't going to do it. I personally never was going to happen. Never in a million years. And it's funny because you might think that's because I think it's immoral. In fact, I don't care. I don't want to care. I don't want to ever, <laughs> I don't want to do things with money. That sounds like the most dreary thing in the world. It is wonderfully convenient that I've found that all of Catholic morality seems to agree that I sh shouldn't have been engaging in financial cleverness with my money. Endorsing your passivity, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Like every, uh, you know, cause It's so hard to live a moral life, right? Because you're always struggling against your passions, yeah. and typically speaking, right? You're, the, you're out there and you're like, man, I have these lusts, I have this anger. And, and I have to war against my vices in order to... So every now and then, it's like once in a blue moon, it occurs where the, the right choice and your passions are perfectly aligned. <laughs> and I found out where it is. It's in not investing in the stock market. It's like... Which I have to be careful about critiquing it because I've never been tempted towards it. So right. I have to I have to acknowledge that up front. You know, it's like when people people critique like a homosexual sin. You know, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote about like... Yeah. Talking about... People that have never been tempted to it seem to be the main critics of it. And I think there's a real validity to that. I mean, a sin has an objective evil, and that's true in both cases. So critique is possible, but you right. need to like slow down a little bit if you're if you're talking about something that's very easy for you that can yeah. be very hard for others. But I think that means you're the best thinker on that issue, like you're the most clear-minded yes, on you it. Clear but it means that you're probably a terrible pastor. Yeah, you know? that's and probably <laughs> true. So yeah. so yeah, that acknowledged, it yeah. seems like maybe. No, I, I really do think that's that's a that's a missing principle. The question that comes from the popes, and I think we're missing a quote that that we read, oh. uh, or that hasn't been read yet. Because what I'm trying to point to is that there is a question of whether it is an actual opportunity that mm. you missed. Like, not you could technically do oh. this, but you were going to do this. Is and there did not. is there a rest of this? Oh, it's all here. Th yeah. That actually comes out of. Um, Olivia. Olivia was an interesting cat on, on many fronts. He was, you know, genius of his time. Um, greatest thinker in between Bonaventure and Thomas and Scotus. Like, he's kind of in, in that gap. Um, and he makes that case, is that, you know, these opportunity costs need to be almost realized. Like, it has to be, like, right there. Like you almost have to have set your money you know, giving your money away at that point. Yeah, he uses um, the term, like a definite intention or something to that regard. I don't know. All these pages are in... I mean, I'll just order. say what I think while you're looking up a Levy, because yeah. <laughs> the, it, it just seems to me like if you have a allowance for usury, allowance for interest on a loan, which means that you are deliberately breaking with the normal familial structure of love. You're saying, okay, Christians, you can now uh, profit from loans. Mm -hmm. But then you're doing a kind of... Uh, a kind of shell game where you say, well, you're not really profiting because you could have, you're just making up what you lost if you had otherwise invested, then it has to be the case that you actually do intend to, to otherwise invest it. And I just don't think people are actually in that scenario. Maybe some yeah. people are in that scenario, but I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what's happening. But again, I just don't think that people are giving out loans. Well, right. I should yeah. say that when, when yeah. they defend it, yeah, as right. as right. doing this, I think they need to be more honest about about why they're defending it. Like, 
if it's not fair to use opportunity costs as a general license for a sin if, in fact, that opportunity is contingent upon the intention of the person who's going to take it or not take it. Right. Um, is it under there? I've got there VIX. I've oh, got Money as Capital is. by yeah. Jacob. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I think, I suppose that's true. I think a lot of folks that have enough money to be able to lend out to a friend are probably like the financially responsible types. So they unquote. really would invest that twenty. So otherwise? they probably are divesting from the market to give it to somebody. I see. I I I would suspect. I don't know. Yeah, and everybody's in different situations, but the I think the main thing in this case is um, part of just the conversion that I think Jesus Christ is calling us to. Yeah, is realizing that our primary goal in this life is to truly be friends with God. Yeah, like to respond to Christ. When he says, I've not called you servants, but friends, you know, and then to extend that out and calling one another friends and truly being friends. Now, we got a limited capacity here. You only be friends with so many people. Um, But I don't think too many people are going to ask you for a loan if they're not already your friend. And to go out of the way and say, hey, you know, there's there's a different type of social order that Christ is calling us to. And I want to love you in that sort of way. Yeah, and, and I think what happens is in a society of usury, um, it's pretty much presumed that loans are a profitable enterprise for other people. And so I think what happens to the Christian people, like people that want to be Christian, is that mm-hmm. you start to become educated into the idea that you should not give loans because that's something other people take care of. So what I mean is I don't think having usury and people not giving loans are disconnected. I think it's precisely because it becomes a kind of profession, mm. the giving of loans, mm-hmm. that it no longer becomes necessary as a, a mode of friendship. It's like right. people don't even yeah, think. that's right. And, and, I've, and I've run into this before. It's like people are like agonizing about how they're going to like pay for a house. And when they, you know, they're a young family, they're just starting out and they don't want to get in debt and they're worried about their credit score and all this yeah. stuff. And it's like, have you asked your dad? <laughs> and honestly, I, I find that people are way more scared of their dads than the banks. Now, granted, that makes some kind of sense. His <laughs> <laughs> dad, right? But it just seems to me in an ordered society, you would first ask your father. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I mean, it just seems like you would first ask for a gift from your father who would be who would want to see you in a house, presumably. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Then you would say, well, I better go to a bank who just wants to see your money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And precisely but the opposite Emotions happens. are not involved. And no, I know. So the, sticky, way, yeah. the way we defend it is precisely that family is messy, and so I want like the cleanness and the legality of, of the bank, where like it's anonymous, no one really knows me, I'm being judged on these objective, impartial measures. Um, and I think what we really like is at the end of the day, if there is ever a problem, it could be sorted out by cops. Right. And when it comes to giving loans, um, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, of course you can take someone to small claims court and that whole thing, but generally speaking, what a loan in the absence of usury is always open to is forgiveness. Why? Because the mode in which the loan is given is for the benefit of the other, not for private gain. So my dad gave me a loan. It's not because he wants to make money off of me. I know this sounds very like trite in some ways, but it's, he doesn't want to make money off me. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then when if something happened, 
you know, I fall into destitution, I become disabled, something mm-hmm. happens where I really can't make money anymore and, and it looks like I'm not going to be able to pay back a loan. His fundamental attitude is already um, not one of seeking private gain. Yeah. So he doesn't have to make any great shift into the mode of debt forgiveness. Yeah. Right. Whereas to begin with usury, I mean, like ask your bank to forgive your loan. It's it's insane. It will never happen. Yeah. I mean, even like we have loan forgiveness now, but it's it's not loan forgiveness. It's government assistance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like with the student loans. Yep. It's like it it sounds like it's a forgiveness plan, but the point is the people who are owed the money get the money. Well, isn't it primarily the government that's lent the money? So they're so just it's only forgiving federal themselves. Yeah. yeah okay. But they created the money in the first place, so who cares, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, this is another thing that should be said. I mean, part of the, you know, a lot of folks that, speaking about like who's actually lending the money, a lot of the reason, or part of the arguments that Catholics use today to say that usury has to do with ridiculously high interest rates is because, you know, in the Middle Ages, you're looking at, 43 and a third percent uh, of interest rates. Oh, wow. Like, that's what was available. And they say, well, look, today, like 4%, that's nothing in comparison. And and that's, like, true, except for the fact that the banks are utilizing fractional reserve techniques, in which case they're lending out that same dollar at 4% 10 times. Well, what's 4 times 10? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're about at the same rate. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we I think in the last podcast, I think we did mention a whole bunch of, ex, not a whole bunch, like the one exception to the rule that that, um, that the Fifth Lateran Council offers. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I just really think that part of, like, the conversion that we're supposed to have, like, what can we learn from this, even if we're not engaged in it, even if we're not in debt, even if we're not giving out a loan? I think it is, again, this idea of how can we use money to make friends like if that's if that's a lodestar that Jesus Christ gives us, saying use money to make friends. Yeah. How does that apply to loans? I think that's the kind of the basis of our meditation and like what what we need to think about. So what do we have to take before adoration and prayer? Totally. All right. Any last words on usury? No, that was it. That was my last cool. word. Wouldn't Whoa! <laughs> wow. Hey, guess what, everyone? It's Jacob's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. That was outstanding. What better way to celebrate being born than to condemn usury? I'm really glad you weren't carrying. Yeah. Because I feel like you would have pulled on me. Never on you, bro. Thanks, dude. Well, thanks for uh, making up, like, not hanging out tonight. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, actually, we can't. Awesome. We we actually can hang out. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> um, okay, so so go ahead, and I hope that I hope that gives some more meat to the to the bones of the criti- Catholic critique of usury. Go ahead, don't be users yourself. Remember, at the end of the day, all the Catholic Church is trying to do is make us a family, and so those things that are normal within the family relationship are going to already be normal, are going to be normal within the church. And yeah. one of those things oh, is not charging interest on a loan. And it's true that we don't tend to give loans, but I think what would happen is if, as a society, we stopped seeing loans as an opportunity for private gain, then we would see it more as an opportunity for meeting people's needs. Mm -hmm. And then we would start to give more loans. 
Um, and so, so <laughs> you're still like amped up I'm like totally, from the shot. Yeah. <laughs> nerves are on And edge, so yeah. we can look forward as as usury is is gradually destroyed through the influence of the church. We can look forward to a more generous society in which we give to each other much more often. Like beautiful surprises. Beautiful <laughs> surprises. That was so loud. I loved it. <laughs> that was awesome. All right. We'll see you next Thank time, you. everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bring that from home? <laughs>